Okay, ladies. This is every speaker's worst slot. <laughs> because we're all so full from lunch, we feel nice and warm, and everybody is tempted to nod off. So stay with me while we land this plane. Okay, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for such a sweet and rich time together that is not nearly over, and we just thank you for being here in our midst. We thank you for the richness and the truths that we have found in your word. And Lord, as we come to this last part of Second John, we just ask that you would show us how to abide in your teaching, how to avoid false teachers at all costs. And we ask that you would grow in us a desire for Christian community with one another. For your glory we pray. Amen. Let's read Second John again. <clears throat> it's so fun to be able to read the whole thing every time. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another and this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. <clears throat> now, my oldest daughter runs cross-country. I was saying to some ladies at lunch, I am not sure how some of my children are sporty like they are because my husband and I are not athletic at all. She's a junior in high school, and there are about 100 students in her school who run cross-country. I don't know whether that's a lot or whether it isn't, but it seems like a lot to me. And it certainly is a lot when you are unfortunate enough to drive by them on their run. Now, cross-country season begins the week after school gets out for the summer. So that is optional training, but honestly, if you want to be able to breathe by the time the mandatory training comes around, you really do want to be there some of the time during the preseason training. <clears throat> the mandatory training starts in August, but of course, we get out of school in June, and that's when the preseason training begins. So there are all these new, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed freshmen who want 
to join the cross-country team, and they, they're a great group of kids. So every day, they do these different runs. The coaches have figured out how long they need to run today, and they'll meet in a designated place to go on their run. <clears throat> now, often, the freshmen are a little bit unsure, and the older, more veteran runners will say, oh, we're running short hill today. Well, nobody knows what that means unless they've run short hill before. So they all go along in this pack. Well, the summer leading into her freshman year, my daughter returned from one of these runs giggling because two of the boys in our carpool had taken a wrong turn that day. Bear in mind, they were all freshmen, so they had never done these runs before. Now, it was actually a classic move on the part of these two boys, which made it even more funny. So they were running behind a guy who they thought knew the way. What they didn't know was even though this guy who was running in front of them was more of a veteran runner, he was absolutely clueless of the route that day. <clears throat> so this boy, he's running, he turns left. My two friends from my carpool turn left with him. He turns right. They're all running. They're trying to keep up. And they have no clue that 97 people are not with them any longer. You would think that that would be pretty obvious. Losing 100 people is akin to losing everybody in this room, but somehow those 13, 14-year-old boys just had, they did not notice. Now, having a 14-year-old boy myself, I do declare that the mind of a 14-year-old boy is a wonder to me, but they did not pay attention, and they ended up completely off the route because they were following this one runner who had absolutely no idea where he was going. A gross judgment of error on all of their parts. Now, we will see in our final passage that a similar thing can actually happen in the Christian life. If we go on ahead and abandon the pack, the group of people that God has put around us, the community that he has placed us in, if we go on ahead and abandon them and don't abide in God's teaching, then we are going to be in trouble. As we turn to our final passage, we're going to see three things, and they all begin with A, which I thought would be helpful after lunch. So, number one, abide in the teaching of Christ. Verse nine, abide in the teaching of Christ. There's that great word again. We're going to talk more about it. Our second point Avoid false teachers at all costs. Verse 10 to 11. Avoid false teachers at all costs. And our third and final point, actively seek Christian community. Verses 12 to 13. So abide, avoid, actively seek. Let's read our verses one last time. 9 to 13. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ, does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect 
sister, greet you. Well, before lunch and before our small groups, we finished up our talk with John giving the church a warning about deceivers, those who have gone out into the world who do not confess Christ, the antichrists. We talked about the full reward of heaven that is promised to believers in Jesus. And now here, in verse 9, we open up our text with a bit of a scary statement from John. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. That's not quite what we expected, I don't think. This is a new idea. We've read they need to walk in the truth of the gospel and walk according to God's commandments. But here, we see another idea of movement, but it is movement in the wrong direction. Everyone who goes on ahead. Clearly, this kind of movement is not the direction that God wants his people to go. This direction is not going to result in the reward that John was talking about in the previous verse. Just like my teenage runners when they were veering off in the wrong direction, this kind of going on ahead is not a good thing. Abandoning the pack, the community that God has placed us in, going rogue, for want of a better phrase, going on ahead and not abiding in the teaching of Christ is separate to God. Look back to verse 7, where John is talking about the deceivers who have gone out into the world. These two things are connected here. Anyone who goes ahead with that deceiver is not abiding in Christ. They're going with the deceiver. They are not abiding in Christ's teaching. They are no longer walking in the truth of the gospel. They cannot be called Christians because they are not abiding in the teaching of Christ. And here, John, I think, is probably referring to new false teachers who have sprung up and who may even have been within their churches. That's a scary thing. These deceivers may not only be from the outside, they may be from the inside too. Now look at the encouragement we see in the next verses, in the next few words that he speaks. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. They need to be warned against the deceiver and not go on ahead, but if they abide in the teaching of Christ, they have access to this amazing family where they have God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son. Remember back to verse 2, where we were told that this truth that abides in us will be with us forever if we are believers. The Holy Spirit lives in them and in us forever. So it's a sort of circular balancing act that we see going on here. The truth of the gospel abides within, as well as the Christian abiding in the teaching They work in balance together, and they allow the Christian to keep walking in the truth and abiding in Christ's commandments with the truth abiding in them. All of these things are a delicate balance which keep the Christian on track. If we go ahead with a teaching that is not from God, then we are not abiding in God. 
and God will not be abiding in us because we are rejecting him. So we have two choices. Go ahead with false teaching and reject God or abide in his teaching and he will be with you as he promises and that reward that we talked about will be ours. Now, as I hear these two choices, I say, well, duh, of course I want to abide. That's a no-brainer, surely. But it isn't as easy as that. In the moment, how can we discern these things? How can we tell one from the other? How can we possibly know what false teaching looks like? It's very easy for us to all sit here today as we read these words and say, of course, we are going to understand the gospel clearly. We are not going to be taken in by false teaching. But what if there are people who are in our church who are promoting that? How do we handle that? How do we protect ourselves and respond to them in a godly way? And the flip side of that coin is, how do we ensure that we're not second-guessing everybody else in the church? That causes a very unsettling, insecure, uncertain church community. Clearly, that is not what John is saying a church of believers needs to be. So how do we do all these things in the way that we need to and not go the wrong way ahead with a false teacher How do we continue to keep this circular motion going the way that we need to? Well, the answer is found in this wonderful word, abide. We said yesterday that it's a restful word. There is something intensely satisfying about this word, abide, and I think it is even more obvious in today's culture, just listening to some of you talking about what living here is like, It is very similar to what life is like in Northern Virginia, and it runs at a very fast pace. And you don't quite know how you can get off that roller coaster, but you just can't, and it runs fast. Abide does not run fast. Abide, I was thinking, kind of conjures up this idea of basking on this amazing couch almost and resting in God's word. Abide does not make itself busy because abide requires us to take time and to rest. Abide helps us to read the truths of God's word and to walk in accordance with them. Abide is that time of quiet set aside where we meditate and ponder on God's word where we allow the Holy Spirit to convict our hearts and where we wrestle and study and confront and confess our sin. Now, some of you might be sitting there with a little smile on your face thinking, there is no abiding in my life right now. I don't even have five minutes in my day when somebody is not crying or wanting something or where something needs to be done for somebody else. We may find ourselves in a season of life which is far from restful right now. We may be in a very demanding job, which is requiring us to work 24-7 around the clock. We might have infants or young children. We didn't sleep for 12 years. Our children were horrible sleepers and we kept having more babies. I don't know what we were thinking. (laughs) But that was not very restful. 
I did not feel like I was abiding very much. I was just in a fog. I was trying to survive. Perhaps you're in a season of life where you're in your car all the time, driving to care for elderly parents or driving teens around. Whatever season of life you may be in, I challenge you to be creative so that you can abide. Put a Bible in your bathroom and lock yourself in for five minutes. Five minutes. Strap them down, put them in a bouncy seat or something. They're not going to kill themselves for five minutes. But it may be the difference in your day so that you can abide. One of mine might have killed somebody. I would have needed to do something about that. But honestly, make it happen for yourselves. If you are sitting in a carpool line or if you are spending four or five days at the soccer field or at the baseball field, have something in your glove box that you can pull out and read while they're, while they're having their practice. Make some cards that you can keep in your purse. And when you have a second, the line at the grocery store is much longer than you wanted it to be, and you didn't do the car pickup thing. So you're standing in this line. Pull those cards out of your purse. Abide with the Lord in that moment. We need to be creative, ladies, so that we can make this happen in our lives because it is so important. I remember having a particular quiet time about 10 years ago. We were living in Illinois. We had just come off the mission field. My husband was still traveling back and forth to the Balkans. And as I said, we had these four children who never wanted to sleep. So there were lots of nights awake where many of us would be sitting in our bed listening to one or two screaming in their rooms. Those sleep books, they didn't work for my children. And I remember in my quiet time that day saying to the Lord, when this roller coaster stops, when my children learn to sleep, I am going to spend so much time in your word. The Lord spoke to me very clearly that day, and he said to me, this roller coaster is not stopping until glory. You better figure it out. (laughs) He showed me that Whatever season of life we are in, our roller coaster feels like it's going at full speed. So we cannot make excuses and put off abiding in God's word and reading it until tomorrow because it will be too late. I really wish somebody had challenged me with that sooner. I had wasted all this time in a frenzy, feeling like my life was out of control and just out of my reach. And if I had taken five or ten minutes during the day, every day, to abide in the Lord, my focus would have been completely different in those early years. So I encourage you to encourage each other. Are you finding time to abide in God's word today? How are you doing that creatively? To the mom who has many kids, who she is driving around, How are you abiding in God's word? What are you doing to ensure that you are? My new best friend is the ESV talkie audio Bible thing. And I finally worked out how to make it go Bluetooth in my car. I feel like I've conquered the world. But it is amazing because I can have the Bible speaking to me, God's word, as I am driving around. That is one way that I have this year discovered how to abide in a lot of time that I am spending in my car. How are you doing that? Ask the lady who has a commute into Boston every day. 
How are you abiding in God's word? How do you do that on your commute? What things have you found helpful? How can I pray for you so that you do abide? For those of you who are older, how are you abiding in God's word? For those of you who are struggling with health issues that make you feel like you just can't focus, how are you abiding in God's word? John doesn't tell us how we need to do it. He just tells us we must in order to be walking in the truth. God has created each one of us differently. You just need to look around even this church building, those amazing paintings downstairs in that children's wing. The Lord has gifted you creatively, whoever those people are. The jewelry, Kendra. God has gifted you creatively. Those of you who are list makers, God has gifted you creatively to do that. Use those gifts and talents that God has gifted you in and use them to abide in his word, whatever that looks like. If you are a musician and if you are not, use music to abide in God's word. It will refresh your soul. Be creative as long as it is abiding in God's word. Because this roller coaster does not slow down until the day we die. And then we'll be in glory. Praise God for that. Lord, come soon. But once we realize this, it will transform our thinking. Because we will realize when we get up in the morning that our first priority for today is to figure out a way to abide in the Lord, to abide in God's word. Now, when we make excuses and neglect to spend time in God's word, it is really hard for us to remember and know what the truth of the gospel is. Because we're fuzzy on the truth of the gospel when we are not abiding in God's word. We can't expect to know it if we are not putting the work in to understand it and to know it. Now, around the same time that I had this aha moment in my quiet time, a couple that we had been on the mission field with were brought home by their missions organization to work on issues in their marriage. They needed to be removed from their location in order to remove some of the temptations that they were struggling with And their missions organization brought them home to work on and give them the opportunity to have counseling and to see if they could save their marriage. Sadly, their marriage ended in divorce. Neither of them are walking with the Lord. They believed the lies and they used them to justify their actions. They were exactly like these people that John is talking about here in verse 9. They went ahead with the false teachers, and they did not stay with the pack. They justified their actions and their sinful life. They were not truly regenerate believers, it turns out. But their story is a good reminder to us that we need to abide in God's word. And again, I am not saying here that we can lose our salvation. But what I am saying is, If you read God's word and you read the parable of the sower, for example, you can see that shoots grow up, but yet they can be strangled by the thorns. So there can appear to be fruit, 
which is actually not lasting fruit. Let's make sure that our fruit is lasting, ladies. May we abide in God's word. And again, we have to ask the question, why is John just like a dog with a bone about this? Why does he keep pounding this home? Why is it so important to him? Well, there are many reasons that we could use, but if we look in our text in verses 10 and 11, we can see that God wants us to abide in his word so that we can discern false teachers and avoid them at all costs. This is why John is making this so important. Our second point, avoid false teachers at all costs. Look at verses 10 and 11. They tell us, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked work. Now, there are a couple of things we need to understand culturally in order for these verses to really make sense to us and for us to understand them in the way that John intended then. The culture of the day was for teachers to travel around from place to place. Of course, there was no internet, no social media, no TV. There were letters, obviously, because we're reading one, but they would have been taken by hand. There was no postal service. So you may remember in Luke um, chapter 10, Jesus sends out 72 followers who were going to go around from town to town. And this would not have been unusual people would have been very used to seeing people coming into their towns and teaching them things. That seems very unusual to us because we're very structured here in the West. In other parts of the world, it is much more free like that still. But here, that would be very unusual. So we need to understand this. We read in Acts of men like Philip and Peter and Paul traveling around and preaching the gospel in different places. There was a a culture of hospitality that went along with this that worked really well. So when teachers came into the towns and villages, there was a culture among the Jewish community particularly who would welcome those people into their homes. Inns were very unsafe places often, and so a traveling teacher would not have wanted to stay there. And that is why people would have welcomed them into their homes. And if you do any study of the Old Testament, you will see that hospitality was a virtue that Jews held in high regard. They would have taken it very, very seriously. If you read the law in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, you will see that. Now here, John makes it clear that if traveling teachers who were working against Christian teaching came, then the believers were not to welcome them in any way. They were not to have them in their homes. They shouldn't show them hospitality or greet them. Did you see in verse 10 or give them any greeting? That's not just saying hi, like we would, if we were to greet somebody, we would just really say, hello, how are you? And those kinds of pleasantries. Greeting was much more extensive in those days. It would have meant that they would have extended approval to whoever it was, to the person that they were greeting. It would have meant that they would have had full fellowship, that they were actually protecting those people. When we lived in the Balkans in Kosovo, when we went into an Albanian's home, it was their responsibility to protect us. So as soon as we walked over their threshold, we were their responsibility. 
That is the kind of thing that this greeting is talking about here. So very different than just bumping into a friend and saying hi. So this is why John is saying, you must not greet these teachers. But because by doing that, remember the churches were house churches. They were meeting in the homes. So by virtue of the fact that they were welcoming them, they were providing a place for them to stay, they were extending hospitality and greeting them, they were in essence endorsing what these teachers were saying. So if these false teachers came into their villages, there was no way that they could do that, or they would be walking ahead with these false teachers. John needs to make sure that the church will not associate themselves in that way. It is very important, because if they do, they are taking part in the false teaching themselves. Now today, for us, the setup is very different. We're in a large church building here. We aren't in a house church. Hotels, for the most part, aren't unsafe places, praise God, because I had a lovely stay in one last night. So what should we take away from these verses? Culturally, things were so different then. Do any of these things apply to us now? Well, yes, because the fact still remains that we must not associate ourselves with false teachers. We must not. We don't want to invite false teachers to come and speak in our churches. We don't want to endorse books that contain false teaching. We don't want to subscribe to podcasts or articles that endorse something that is not the truth of the gospel. Verse 11 is very clear. Whoever greets a false teacher is taking part in their wicked works. John is warning this church against false teachers and is telling them to stand apart, and we must do the same. We must be on our knees praying for wisdom and discernment so that we can abide in the truth of the gospel alone. In the last few months, actually the last month really, I have seen a lot of articles written on websites that I trust where people are standing out and speaking up for truth against certain things that are taking certainly women in America by storm. And I have been really encouraged to see people standing up for the truth of the gospel in these areas. One example is an article I saw written on the Gospel Coalition website about Rachel Hollis's book, Girl, Wash Your Face. I don't know if you were any of you are familiar with Rachel Hollis, and if you have found her book Transforming in Your Life, I'm going to offend you right now, so I apologize for that. I'd seen a lot of friends posting about her book, and I was curious to see. I had heard that it was a Christian book, but other than that, I didn't know anything more, so I went ahead and I read it. And the reason I read it is so that I could speak with credibility and first-hand knowledge about it when I had interactions with my friends. Now, this article I spoke about on the Gospel Coalition website was by a lady called Elisa Childers, and she pointed out some very helpful things in her article that I want to share with you. Because using this example of Rachel Hollis is not just one thing that we are going to come up against. It is one example in a whole ocean of many Now, Elisa says this 
about the book. Make no mistake, sisters, this book is all about you. Just in chapter one, Hollis writes, you are meant to be the hero of your own story. You, and only you, are ultimately responsible for who you become and how happy you are. You should be the very first of your priorities. Girl, wash your faces littered with references to self-love and self-care. In fact, the theme is so pervasive that it shapes how Hollis responds to everything, from hardship to trauma to parenting to working out. Anything but surrendering your life to Jesus and placing your trust in him alone. Your happiness, your success, your everything, it's all up to you, ladies. I don't know about you, but I don't think that's good news. Jesus offers us true joy and peace, but only after we realize that we are not the center of our own lives and that we are no longer in charge. This is key, isn't it? The gospel shows us clearly that we are not the center of our lives. It shows us clearly that we are not in charge. And it teaches us that we must surrender our lives to Christ. It teaches us that we don't have the power to save ourselves. Only Jesus has that power. Now, here's what I have been talking about all weekend. Elisa Childers, who wrote this article, abides in the gospel. She walks in God's commands, and she knows his truth. How do I know that? Because the things she is pointing out are all the things in Rachel Hollis's book that do not line up with the gospel. Now, she would say in her article, and I would agree that with this too, having read the book, there are notes of the truth of the gospel in this book for sure. Would there be things that you could find helpful? Absolutely. But the overall message of this book is absolutely not gospel-centered. It is man-centered. And this is completely contrary to the gospel, ladies. We cannot save ourselves. That's why Jesus had to die on the cross, the most agonizing death. We need to take care. This is highly dangerous, and this is why we need to understand God's word intimately. We need to ensure that we don't fall prey to these things. In her article, Childers lays out five lies, and the fifth, they're five lies that she has come to the conclusion of as she's been um, reading the book, and the fifth is the most important one. This is what she says. This is the fifth lie that she saw. Sin isn't the problem. This is the deepest and most pervasive lie that coils its way around the book like a python choking its prey. I can't state this plainly enough. Sin is your enemy, and you absolutely can't save yourself from it. You are not in control of that situation. That may sound harsh, but it's actually the best news ever. You and I are rebels against God. We can't get around it. Everything that's broken in our lives is because of sin, whether it's ours or someone else's, and sin must be paid for. There is no peace between our sin and a holy God. Justice must be done. As I read her words, I hear the truth of the gospel coming out in her article in ways that I did not when I read the book, and I really hope you do too, because sin is our biggest problem. And it is often the thing in false teaching which is not spoken of. 
Sin is our biggest problem, and that is why the cross had to happen. If we didn't have a problem with sin, God wouldn't have needed to send Jesus. It's at the very heart of the gospel. Anything that tells us that it isn't and that we have the power to fix our situation alone in our own power is absolutely not the gospel. This book, Girl, Wash Your Face, is all about Rachel Hollis with a few spiritual comments and some Bible verses thrown in. It is not about Jesus. But the good news is we don't actually have to figure these things out all by ourselves. In addition to God's word, his gospel of truth, the Holy Spirit in our hearts, God has created a community of believers for us to be a part of. He has placed people in our lives who are believers too, who can walk with us, who can walk through life with us, who we can discuss these things with, who can help to sharpen us and point us in the right direction. Because even if we are faithfully trying to abide in the gospel, sometimes we are going to miss things. But our really good friend who we pray with twice a month might be able to see that when we can't. Praise God that he has put these people in our lives so that we can walk through life together. Because as Christians, it is so necessary for us to actively seek Christian community. That's our third and final point, verses 12 to 13. Actively seek Christian community. These last two verses are such a wonderful picture of the church globally. Look at verses 12 and 13. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not do it with paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. John is writing this letter because he needs to impart this information to the church much more quickly than he can actually get to them. But look at what his deeper desire is. He wants to be with them. He wants to fellowship with them. He wants to talk to them. Nothing beats physically getting together with God's people. A lot of churches, big churches around us, will live stream their sermons and their church services. And several of my friends will say, oh yes, we're doing church at home today. Like, what? What does that mean? And there is absolutely a place for that. If you're a shut-in, if you're in the hospital, if some crisis has occurred, that can be an enormous blessing, can't it? But that is not the way that we should do church every week. Because church is our Christian brothers and sisters who we should desire to meet with week in and week out. Who when we are not there somebody notices and texts us and says, or calls us and says, are you okay? Did I just miss you this morning or weren't you there? Not in a legalistic way because you need to be in church on Sunday, but because we love each other and we're concerned and we notice if a member of our body is not with us today. Meeting face to face makes their joy complete 
This is a great reminder to us. It is a joy to meet together. Sometimes there are seasons in our lives when it doesn't feel like it is a joy to meet with God's people. But John reminds us here that it makes his joy complete. We need to have that attitude as we walk into our church bodies on a Sunday morning, as we come to our Bible studies. It makes our joy complete to be with each other. It makes our joy complete to be with the family of God. It is a simple thing, but yet it is a gift that God is giving us so that we can walk this journey together. Cherish it. Rejoice in it together as you walk in the truth and live according to God's commands with his people. Rejoice. Realize that your joy is complete as you live and love together right here with this community of believers. Now, we could just stop here and ignore verse 13, but it follows on so beautifully from this picture of the community of God's global and local church. The children of your elect sister greet you. Now, it's helpful for us to understand the word greet in the light of what I just said. This church that John is an elder in is extending all helps to this lady elect, this other congregation that John is writing to. They will do anything they can to support this church in its ministry. They want to share what they have because they are believers in Christ. Remember yesterday, Christians love other believers in the gospel. This is what this church here is doing. What a great picture of the church across the world. Think about the churches that your missionaries are involved in overseas. You are extending helps and hospitality and greeting them in exactly this way. And you are united together globally in the gospel of Christ. We are a body of Christ working together, endeavoring to abide in the teachings of Christ, avoiding false teachers at all costs, and actively seeking to live and love in community with other believers, not leading the pack, not going on ahead. Let's pray that we would display those characteristics, both individually and in our churches, that it would be evident to all those people we come into contact with who do not know Christ. Because we want to share this truth of the gospel with others around us. We want to be able to see the Holy Spirit convicting other people's hearts so that they come to know the Lord too and so that they can walk in this gospel of truth alongside us. Let's pray that this would happen right here in Hingham. Let's pray that this would happen in Situate as you go out and revitalize the church and you join those faithful ones who have been there for all those years. Let's pray that we would do this faithfully so that God's kingdom would be glorified and more people would come to know him. Wouldn't that be exciting? And we get to be a part of that. That 
will make our joy complete and it will make the kingdom of God the most extraordinary place to be when we finally get there, when he finally calls us home. Let's pray together, ladies. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for these truths. We would never have believed or imagined that these 13 verses would have held so much treasure. And we just pray, Lord, as we wrap up this teaching portion of the weekend, that you would convict our hearts by the Holy Spirit, that you would help us to turn from our sin, where we are not abiding in Christ in the right way, where we are not walking in the truth of the gospel. Forgive us for not always actively desiring to seek community with other believers. Help us to take steps to do that in different ways. Help us to be creative so that we can spend time in your word. Help us to be able to see what is the truth of the gospel and what is actually false teaching. Lord, may we delight to tell others your gospel. May they see your gospel living in us as we love one another sacrificially and fiercely. And may your kingdom grow because of that. Lord, we, we pray for all the different towns that the ladies in this room are from, and we pray that you would use them mightily for your glory in those places. We pray, Lord, for the church revitalization that will happen in Situate in a few weeks. Lord, we pray that you would bring glory to yourself through the faithful ones who have been there for years and for the faithful ones who are going to join them and link arms. Lord, establish your church there. Give them a presence. May they preach your gospel faithfully to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.